Fads come and go, and nowhere more than in the world of weight loss. That's why Noom's weight management programs are made to last. Noom uses science and personalization to help you manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. Hello and welcome to the In The Pen podcast, part of the Pitcherless Podcast Network, a podcast about relievers. My name is Jake Crumpler, and as always, I'm joined by Pitcherless's bullpen expert, Rick Graham. We're without Callan Elslogger today, who had a date night, but that's all right. We're glad he had a good time, but I've got Rick here with me. Rick, how are you doing? How was your all-star break? Uh, doing well. Um, all-star break was... You know, great for a lot of reasons. A little bit of a break. It doesn't hurt. Um, also, I'm a big, you know, draft, draft yeah. guy. So it's fun watching that on Sunday and Saturday and then our Sunday and Monday. And then the Homer and Derby Monday night was was good. It was, you know, I, I the ending was electric. It, it's, um, you know, Julio had to put on a show. I was more impressed. I mean, Adley was super yeah. impressive. Didn't expect that from mm-hmm. him. And uh, yeah, I think also the All Star game was pretty good too. You know, the little drama in the in the light in the last inning, and yeah, who would have thought that the MVP was going to be Elias Diaz? <laughs> hey, me, me, and all the other Rockies fans. But yeah, we know. Um, yeah. The the home run derby definitely had its moments. I wouldn't say it was like the best home run derby I've yeah. ever watched, but it did have its moments that were really exciting. Like you said, Adley's switching plates, switching sides of the plates, and uh, Luis Robert hitting some bombs, and Randy with the uh, crossed arms and the cowboy. <laughs> boots it was definitely a fun time julio rodriguez breaking the single round record at yeah. home that was that was really awesome and then the all-star game honestly i feel like the mlb all-star festivities are the best in all of sports yeah i would agree i mean i i used to, it's you know if you look at the nba like the this, the dunk contest isn't when it used to be and no. you know i still think the home run derby is the best like secondary mm-hmm. yeah i don't like all-star game festivities so yeah I, I definitely agree there i mean even even the game itself is i think better than all the other ones because yeah. in basketball they're i mean they're sort of trying but they're they're sort no of messing around defense. in football yeah. yeah in football they can't even play because if they play <laughs> they get hurt so yeah. then you have i don't know what i don't know anything about hockey so i don't know what's going on there but, hockey but they play least, a little three-on-three tournament which they switched okay. up which is kind of cool but again it's different it's not it's not yeah, yeah. it's it's different Hmm. Yeah. And then in baseball, you actually have people out there trying because you can't really play the game without trying Mm -hmm. to your fullest. And I think everybody there wants to show off their skills on the big stage. And the way to do that is just by playing the game to the best of your ability. For sure. Yeah. You're not going to see. I mean, pitchers aren't going to just go out there and, you know, go 50 percent. That's it might not be, you know, a huge regular season game for them, but it's at least, you know, a a very competitive, you know, you know, situation that they're going to, you know, try to do their best in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we'll have more than a few pitchers that went out there and showed their best stuff to talk about later on in this episode. The other things we'll be covering, injuries, news, and notes from the few days that we had before we hit the All-Star break. As always, we'll do the closers that are rising and falling down Rick's top 30 closers list. We'll do an All-Star game recap covering the relievers that pitched in the All-Star game. And then we'll do sort of a first half review and a second half preview, looking at some first half surprises and predicting what we expect to see in the second half. And then as always, we'll wrap things up with a 
game of who's that closer. So I guess we can jump right into it. Like I said, we only had a few games since our last podcast. We recorded last Thursday. I think that was the sixth. So I think we had Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and that was it. It was, it was three mm-hmm. days of baseball. So the transactions are going to be light. Um, but there's some notable ones. So we'll start with the injuries. Always got to start off on the sour note. I think that that's the way to go because, you know, you give the bad news first and then mm-hmm. clean, clean things up with the good news. But Jose Alvarado, a left-handed reliever for the Philadelphia Phillies, was placed on the 15-day IL with left elbow inflammation. That's unfortunate considering he's already been on the aisle earlier this year and he was having a really great season. Rick, do you got any idea how long he's going to be out and who's going to be first in line to grab holds on the Phillies now? Yeah, it sounds like they're not going to rush him back as, as they shouldn't. I mean, there's no no reason. I know they're fighting for a playoff spot. They're, they're in a good position right now, but uh, it does sound like he's going to be out till September. So I would imagine Philly Philadelphia maybe goes and adds you know, maybe a small piece to the bullpen, maybe not a big name, but they'll probably add someone at the deadline. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, for now, it's going to be Gregory Soto and um, well, yeah, I don't know Sir Anthony Dominguez. Yeah. When does he come back too? So mm-hmm. yeah, they're, they're they're really thin with those two guys injured, so. which is crazy considering yeah. <laughs> where they were at the beginning of the season with like four guys that would be closers on a lot of other teams. And now they're yeah. just, Oh wow. Now they got a, a weak bullpen again. Whoa. What a surprise. It's the Phillies. They have to lean on 30. What is it? 36 year old Craig Kimbrell now down the stretch. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Um, hopefully he heals, he heals up and sticks together and continues mm-hmm. his dominance that, you know, he showed in the first half. That's right. Yeah, it was definitely a fun story. And we'll talk about him more a little bit later. So that's Jose Alvarado likely seeing Gregory Soto earn some more holds. So he's already been a big part of that bullpen. So I think Jeff Hoffman is probably the most interesting name outside of him. He's actually been really good this year and was interesting in the past with the, the Reds and as a pre pre Rocky, like when he was on the Rockies prior to being uh, yeah. let, let out of jail. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what to refer he, to Colorado he, as. He and I, th- I believe he and Robert Stevenson were traded for each other at one point, maybe uh, when they were switched between mm. Cincinnati and Colorado. And both of those guys, so like even then and since then, it's like I always thought one of them, you know, might have like a breakout, you know, reliever type season. I, it could be both of them this year if, if Hoffman continues, you know, what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it looks like. He was originally on the what? He was on the Blue Jays, and he got traded yep. in the Troy Tulowitzki trade. Yeah, it's a Colorado, and then I think Colorado flipped him for Robert Stevenson. I don't see that. I'm on Baseball no, Almanac, so I can't yeah. 100% trust that. But <laughs> I, I think he just I don't know got waived or something. But I, I would see that he got signed by the Phillies and or whoever else he was with the Reds too. So I don't know. I don't know what happened there. Either way. Yeah. That's the Phillies bullpen for you. The other most notable injury we had was Nick Anderson, who got straight up put on the 60 day IL with a right shoulder strain. So he's going to miss at least the next two months. And right now there's two and a half months left in the season. So there's not much time for him to return and for him to be an impact in fantasy terms. So I think that's a pretty easy drop in every single league that he has been pretty good this year with Nick Anderson now out of Atlanta. I know AJ Minter has that setup role all to himself basically now. So who are you looking at outside of AJ Minter in terms of holds? 
Yeah. Um, yeah. 60 day IL at this point is, yeah, you're, you're pretty much, you, you're going to probably drop in any format. Yeah. That's um, a death sentence. So I, I mean, I think Kirby Yates has been pitching. He's, he has been pitching really well. I think he he's going to get some more high leverage work. Joe Jimenez has been pitching better. Uh, they still don't seem to to really trust him in in mm-hmm. setup ro- setup role. But uh, I think between him and Yates, one of those guys will probably have a or will at least need to take on the bulk of um, you know holds holds chances outside of AJ Minter in the second half. Yeah, and it really does seem like they've been trusting Yates recently. I feel like every time that Rysel Iglesias needs a rest, it does seem like AJ Minter's that first option, but Yates has sort of been the, the secondary option there, with his, yeah. which is somewhat surprising, but he's been really good since May 22nd. He's struck out 35.7% of batters, and that comes with a 2.55 ERA. That sounds like old Kirby Yates, and I'm not talking about his age. I'm talking about former Kirby Yates. Um, but yeah, the uh, the Braves bullpen, super deep, so they can definitely withstand an injury like this. But hey, maybe Jesse Chavez comes back soon and is the ace Boy, he was yeah. by the injury. Yeah, I mean, they have a ton of ton of options there. And I'm sure, again, like any other contender, they'll add one or two pieces as well to, to, to bolster that bullpen. Mm-hmm. And then the final injury we have is Dre Jameson, a long reliever for the Diamondbacks, was placed on the 15-day IL originally and then transferred like two days later to the 60-day IL with right elbow inflammation, so pretty similar to what Alvarado's dealing with, but more severe. And Justin Martinez was recalled in a corresponding move, so this has this move has layers. I think Dre Jameson wasn't super useful in the majority of leagues because he wasn't really getting a ton of holds. It's hard to have a guy like that. That's that's getting wins and isn't an elite long reliever. Dre Jamison has a lot of potential, but I wouldn't say he was completely reaching it this year. So that's unfortunate to see him going, going down. He's likely out at least through the rest of the regular season. Um, So that that's unfortunate, but Justin Martinez is back. And this is a guy that we talked about. That was last week, right? Or the week before? I think it was it was recent, yeah, when he came up and then was mm-hmm. re- was went yes. sent down right away. So hopefully this time he stays up a little bit longer and gets a chance to stick on this bull in this bullpen. Yeah, and this is a surprisingly deep bullpen, so I wouldn't say that he's going to be moving into high leverage work right now. He's only 21 years old, but he does have some really good stuff. Gets a lot of ground balls, has really good strikeout stuff, great fastball, but he walks a lot of guys. Yeah. Same story with uh, a lot of guys around this age, the the young relief only prospects. That's, you know, typically command is the one thing that, you know, holds them back from being starters. Mm -hmm. And speaking of guys that are young that just got recalled that have very good stuff. And if he command, we'll move to our transactions and talk about the only one that we'll cover. And that's Abner Uribe, who was recalled from the minors by the Brewers. And this was a guy that we talked about in the same episode as Justin Martinez and that's that's a guy that Rick was really excited for. And now he's up. Definitely just going to struggle with control throughout the year. But do you think this is a guy that could become fantasy relevant in deep holds leagues? Yeah, I I think it might be a wait and see. I mean, it's funny because if you look at this, if you look at this roster, the depth chart, if you were to you know, look at that before the season started and, and saw that Uribe is like in the mix right here, you would think he was automatically going to be a setup guy with the rest of the names on the mm-hmm. list. But um, Pagueros, he, he's pitched really well. And obviously, um, you all 
Piomps has pitched very well as well. And I think he's been one of the most underrated relievers in the first mm-hmm. half. And, you know, talk about if a sneaky kind of, you know, someone to roster in deep leagues, if something happens to Devin Williams, if he's traded or if he gets hurt or if he loses the job, that's that's a name to keep an eye on. But uh, Aribe is definitely, you know, dynasty leagues. If you're already in sell mode, if you're already out and you want to stash some relievers, this is, you know, Abner Aribe is a guy you, you want to have on your roster. He's kind of like Jose Alvarado from the right side and similar in, you know, the early stage of Alvarado's career, he also struggled with command mightily. So um, I think there's a lot of similarities there and uh, definitely electric stuff though. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Big strikeout numbers in the minor leagues. He's only 23 years old and yeah, I think he's the closer of the future there in Milwaukee as Devin Williams is set for Free agency, not until 2026. Wow, I thought it would be sooner. It feels like, I guess he debuted in in 2019. But definitely the closer of the future, but we may not see that for a couple more years as Devin Williams still has two more years in Milwaukee. But yeah, you you mentioned Yal Piomps, and he's 1.91 ERA, 28% strikeout rate. So that's definitely somebody to keep an eye on as we head into the second half. But as always, we... uh, move on to the three up three down portion of our podcast where we cover the closers that are rising up Rick's ranks and falling down Rick's ranks. Like I said earlier in the podcast, we had just three games to go off of maybe or three days of games to go off of maybe four and you can throw in the all-star game there if you want. So there's not going to be any extreme movement here, but there's still something, some things that are worth talking about. So we'll start positively and talk about the three guys that are moving up Rick's list this week. Rick, who do you got rising the ranks? Yeah, I guess I I mean I did make some movement in the first tier, which is about half the, half the closes in baseball mm-hmm. because there's just it's it's been a really good year. I can't remember. I definitely yeah. I you know I can't remember. I have never seen a season where A we haven't seen, you know, closers lose their job frequently. It's been there hasn't been a lot of, you know, a lot of turmoil or, you know, um volatility. So I've kind of moved guys around a little bit based on some, you know, some just looking at some numbers and seeing and just projecting things out for the second half. So I, I think Craig Kimbrell is a huge winner. And as long as he's healthy and, you know, even before Alvarado just landed on the IL, he's mm-hmm. still, he was far and away, you know, he took, he ran away with that job even after Alvarado came back from the first IL stint. So he's, you know, been awesome since the, since pretty much May, you know, 41.3% K rate since then. He He's pretty, no one can touch Felix Batista right now outside of people in the all-star game and Elias Diaz. But, <laughs> but, um, but like outside after Batista, I think Kimbrell is a legit, you know, potential number two closer in baseball right now. Yeah, he's been great. And like you said, with Alvarado going down and Dominguez down, I think his closer role is pretty safe. The Phillies look like they're starting a pretty solid second half run. So he could have a bunch of wins to close out. And he's been, he just keeps getting better this season. Mm. Since June 11th, he's tossed 13 innings and he has yet to allow a run. He's got a 20 to 1 strikeout to walk ratio. That's like a 44% strikeout rate. So that's 13 straight scoreless innings since. In a, in the last month, so yeah. he is yet to allow a run in a long time, and I, you can technically say he extended that streak in the All Star game. But yeah, Kimbrel's been looking like vintage Kimbrel, which is a good sign for Phillies fans and fantasy managers that roster Kimbrel. So as Kimbrel's moving up the list, uh, we got to go to another one, and 
I'll take Paul Seawald of the Mariners. He's been having a great season, sort of underratedly, quietly. Yep. I think uh, many people take what he's been doing for granted in Seattle because he doesn't really have anything that really stands out. He doesn't throw a million miles per hour. He doesn't have one of those shiny sub two whips and he doesn't have the bonkers strikeout numbers, but he's above average basically across the board. 36% strikeout rate, 3.22 ERA on the year. He's held onto the closer role all year. He's got 17 saves and you can really believe in this performance because of the underlying metrics as well. So this mm-hmm. is somebody that if, if you own him I, I, or you roster him, that's that's somebody I'd feel very confident rostering throughout the rest of the year. I would not be worried about Andres Munoz working his way into that role. And yeah, I, I think that pretty much sums everything up for Seawald. He may even be, I don't know, he might be somewhat of a buy low even because I don't, sure. I, th- I think you can, you know, he's probably not someone that a lot of people are going to consider in the top 10 for closers. But um. If you look at yeah, like our PLV rank, uh, our PLV um, system ranks him fourth in all of baseball for five point five PLV, um, and you know he doesn't throw hard, so velocity isn't everything. It's just that deceptive fastball that he gets that that kind of weird gyro spin and just keeps it at the top of the zone. Thirty four point two percent CSW, thirty six percent K rate, all you know, both top twenty on on the season, and you know. 1.02 whips fine with me I'll, I'll take that all day so yeah he's he's been awesome it's the save the save totals are probably what keep people you know a little like pushing down a lot of people's ranks or whatnot but i, I i'm not worried about the second half i think the mariners could be in for a, a good second half they they didn't play as well as they could have in the first half i think you know the starting pitching started to get it going to kirby and gilbert kind of took steps forward i feel over the last month so they, they could have a good second half in seattle yeah, definitely. Uh, definitely underperformed a little bit in the first half. I am not sure they'll be able to make a full on postseason run, but I think that they'll definitely perform better in the second half. I think their their team has played below expectations. But to wrap up the guys moving up your list, give me one more. Uh, I still think I, I like AJ Puck and it's another, you know, this Marlins team. I don't know if we were going to believe in them or not, but they they have great starting pitching and they're getting you know, great stuff from their, their relievers. So the pitching's there. They should still be in the mix for, you know, a playoff spot into September. The only concern with Puck is, you know, he's got some competition with Oakert and Tanner Scott there. Mm-hmm. Both guys have been unreal this season. So uh, if things do, but but I feel like the team, Skip Schumacher has shown, you know, Puck did hit a little bit of a, a rough patch, you know, before the All-Star break and they mm-hmm. didn't waver from him. So, um. Yeah, I love Puck. You know, three point eight percent walk rate, but still misses bats at a high rate. You thirty six point four percent CSW, which is uh, elite. So, um, I think he'll get that ERA down under four. I think he's gonna end up closer to three for the season, mm-hmm. and I think I think he could have a good second half. His ERA estimators would definitely agree with you. 3.02 XFIP, 2.66 XERA, and the strikeout to walk numbers are the best of his career. Wow, 25% strikeout minus walk rate. That's very elite, and I think I might have the option to disagree with you a little bit later, but we'll we'll save that. Um, Yeah, so I I think AJ Puck's underlying metrics are there and he stumbled recently. So it definitely was a little bit confidence inducing to see him have those back-to-back games where he blew up. 
had a, a loss and a, and a blown save and then Skip Schumacher still the third game, the, the next game, he sent him back out there for the save. And so definitely showing some confidence in him. And maybe he just needed a little bit of rest mm-hmm. with the all-star break. But as guys rise up the ranks, others fall down the ranks. Uh, who's fallen down the list for you? Uh, Carlos Estevez is the first one. I, I think he's, you know, he's been pretty lucky this season with a 91% left on base rate, uh, 4.18 XFIP, 1.29 whip. Uh, so we, we could see a rough second half for him. Not only that, but there's, depending on what, we don't know what the Angels are going to do yet. I mean, there's all this talk around Otani, but if Otani ends up getting dealt, which is probably doubtful, then, you know, you, you're going to see us, Estevez, you're going to see a bunch of names there move. Probably they would go, I mean, at that point, you might as well go full on um, fire sale. So mm-hmm. if he does move, I highly doubt he ends up in a closer role somewhere. Um, and yeah, the, the stuff is just, you know, 12.2% walk rate, uh, 29% CSW. It's, there's just nothing really with everyone else on this list, you know, a lot of other good names here. I just, I, I have the least faith in him, um, you know, keeping his job in the second half. Yeah, that's definitely one where you can look at the ERA estimators and just see, okay, yeah, that's, uh, that's pretty clear that he outperformed what he should have done in the first half. Nearly a two and a half run difference between his ERA and his XFIP. And while I do believe he was very much so deserving of his all star selection and yeah. he showed that he can he can play with those guys the walks are definitely an issue highest walk rate of his career and while he's made up for that with the highest strikeout rate of his career it's could be an issue especially like you said with the angels team that could get worse in the second half with trout going down and just Mm. the way the team is trending there might be fewer games to save in the second half if he's sticks around at all. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. there's also the, I mean, there's the possibility that they don't trade Otani and they still decide to move off, you know, some of these one year contracts um, mm-hmm. just to get some pieces and try to, you know, because it's really looking grim for their playoff hopes this year with Trout out and it, they would have to make moves, I think, to bolster the rotation to even like think about a playoff spot. So, yeah, I, I could see them being sellers and best of us being one of the guys move first. Sure. And uh, another guy that I guess is moving down the list because (laughs) he's got pretty large disparities between his estimators and his ERA. And that's David Bednar of the Pirates. He's had a very great season, 1.27 ERA, 17 saves on the season, and he's striking out nearly 30% of batters. But he's taken some step backs this year. You could say he's striking out less than we've seen. In a, in a while and he's been pretty lucky in terms of balls in play and and left on base homer in a fly ball rate mo- mostly that's uh mm. that's very low uh but 3.53 xfip to go with that 1.27 year a so that's uh more than two run difference there so he'll definitely have some regression in the second half and i think even more so than the angels the pirates have been falling yeah. off a ton and david bednar's season is sort of carried by that first month when the pirates were one of the best teams in baseball. He had a lot of saves in that first month. I think it was, let's see in April. He had 11, maybe it was, it was like something crazy. It was, it could have been 11. Yeah. My computer just broke. (laughs) Um, Oh no. (laughs) <laughs> no, well, not not fully. Uh, Fangraphs was just frozen <laughs> oh, gotcha, for a second. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, in April, he had 
nine saves and he had a nine. 0.69 ERA during that taint during that time, nine saves. And then since then in the two plus months since then, eight saves and a 1.61 ERA. So the ERA is still there, but the saves have not been the pirates cooled off. And so has David Bednar. So I think that's sort of foreshadowing what we might see in the second half, just a couple of saves per month. And while he might still continue to outpitch his metrics, the XFIP suggests a worse second half for Bednar. Yeah. Since the, I think this is since the beginning of May, the pirates have gone 21 and 41. Um, so yeah, they were red hot in April and there was a lot of hype around them, but since then they have reverted back to the, the pirates that we've come to know. Um, so yeah, I, I think there's a chance he gets dealt a very good chance. I, I just, He's not really, he, I think he's a free agent 26, 27. He's not exactly in that a window of where the, the Pirates are going to be, you know, at their peak. So I, I think right now might be, you know, he's having a really good year. Possibly they, they could be selling at, at peak value right now, especially given that we don't really know how there's going to be a lot of teams looking for relievers. And I don't know who who's really going to be available. So Bednar could be the best name that's actually available. Yeah, de- definitely. He, he's a free agent in 2027, so he's got Seven. three more years of control. And while I do think that is sort of within what the Pirates are hoping to contend, yeah. I think next year is probably the start of their window, to be completely mm-hmm. honest. They got O'Neill Cruz there, and maybe Paul Skeens gets an early call. But yeah, I, I think Bednar definitely has the possibility of not having a great second half and could be this might be the perfect time to send him out on on a trade uh, but to wrap up this section who's the last guy you got falling down your list uh this is a tough one because i really like I, I, it's hard you know again there's just a lot of good closers right now um but i guess alexis diaz is someone who i might i could see having a bit of a poor second half uh I think the job security is great. That's one thing that should keep him in the closer role, no matter what. Almost unless he really has a you know a terrible August, but um, you know neither neither stuff plus or PLV are really big fans of his stuff. Um, you know he he does have he's gonna he's on pace to just like blow away his um, innings pitch in a season since 2015 when he started his professional career. So. You know, he's also had a couple kind of, you know, he had that weird thing where he wasn't available. He wasn't available. And I, I don't know. I just wonder, um, you know, if he holds up over the second half and also are the Reds going to be able to, you know, be as good as they were in the second half? I, I think they can be. I just, you know, the rotation still has a lot of question marks. So, um and it's a young lineup, so guys can get hot or cold there, and they, mm. they could go on a cold streak, and then Diaz doesn't, you know, really do much. So I, I, you know, he's he's safe in the fact that he's going to be the closer for the Reds the rest of the season as long as he's healthy, but he's not going to get traded. So it's it's just a matter of, you know, how are the Reds going to be, and how is Diaz going to hold up, you know, after a after you know, kind of pitching the most in the first half of a season and in his career. Yeah. Maybe they take it easy on him in the second half and they let Sim sort of take a couple saves from him because if the Reds are actually serious about making the playoffs this year and 
making it a long way in those playoffs. I think Alexis Diaz is going to be a big part of that and they'll want him at full strength in October. I think one of the most interesting developments is he was a huge strikeout guy to start the season, like one of the best in baseball. Through June 10th, he struck out 48% of batters. um, And then afterwards, it's been not great since the mm-hmm. s- since that same date since Kimbrel last allowed a run uh that was that was June 10th he has really not been a big strikeout guy 20% which that is very low for a reliever especially one that was just striking out nearly half of the batters that he faced all the way down to 20% across his last 14 and two thirds innings. And that comes with a 10% walk rate as well. So mm. it's not like he's just throwing the ball in the zone a lot and getting a lot of contact. So that's definitely an interesting development. Does that mean he's getting tired? Does that mean people have gotten the book on him and they, they know how to make contact with his pitches or is it just a, 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 a bad streak, a cold streak? Yeah. It'll be interesting to watch if he can get those strikeouts back, but he did pitch in the all-star game. And so it sort of takes away from some of the, argument that you could say well, he, he's got some rest in the all-star game yeah well that's and yeah he you know all-star game two hits and an earned run no strikeouts it's mm-hmm. kind of it's i mean it's the all-star game it's it's not a, it's an exhibition but still it's not great to see the, uh, the lack yeah. of swing and miss stuff lately sure yeah well that'll wrap up the intro to this podcast and the three up three down section we're going to take a quick break and when we get back we're going to recap the all-star game and talk about the first and second half on in the pen when it comes to weight management we tend to put our focus on what we eat but noom's approach puts the focus on why we eat and that's a game changer noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain and they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. Try Noom today and see the results for yourself. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com to sign up for your trial today. And we're back. Jake Crumpler here with Rick Graham on In the Pen. Let's talk about the All-Star Game. We we had a, a brief discussion to start out the podcast, but we didn't go in depth on the relievers that pitched in that game. We saw nine relievers appear combined in that game, and some guys really stood out. Some guys had some heart attack inducing innings, but you know, that makes for good fun baseball. We'll start it off with the American league with a guy that we already spoke about. And that's Carlos Estevez who tossed an inning, a perfect inning with two punch outs. So he was, he was really feeling it there. Uh, Rick, did you watch every inning of the all-star game? Every single pitch? I did not see every single pitch. I had it on. I was paying attention most of the time. Um, I don't, didn't see much of Estevez, but he did have the box score had the best numbers out of anyone, uh, any reliever, pretty much. So he also did pitch earlier on in the game when I, I believe the shadows were still affecting hitters. So mm-hmm. um, there's that as well. But yeah, it, it's you know he was deserved, and just because I'm down on him for the second half, 
and because of what you know his ERA uh, estimators or X stats say, that doesn't mean he doesn't deserve to be in the All Star game because yeah. this it's you know when it's the All Star when you're looking at the All Star game, it should come down to you know ERA, WHIP, strikeouts, all like the core numbers. So yeah, yeah, he he is still still deserving, and um, again, yeah, I, I, I you know the Angels could get a nice little piece for him. I think they could sell high right now and get something good for him at the deadline if they decide to go that route. Yeah, it was definitely cool to see him dominate in the All-Star game. After leaving Coors, I think everybody was excited about the possibilities. And so far, we've really seen best-case scenario for Carlos Estevez. So that was awesome that it sort of culminated in this great All-Star game appearance. And now we can move to probably the biggest relief pitching breakout of the year in Yenier Cano, who tossed a scoreless inning, allowing a hit, and he punched out two batters. Yenier Cano, what do you got? What do you got, (laughs) Yenier Cano's All-Star game appearance? I I mean, he's... It's tough because, well, it's good to see the two strikeouts. Uh, again, I don't know. I don't recollect if the shadows are still a factor, but um, because he's been similar to you talk about Diaz, he has had a lot of trouble striking out guys uh, since like the middle of May. Um, he, he's really tailed off and, you know, his stuff is now you watch him and he throws from that, you know, that funky sidearm delivery and mm-hmm. it's got a ton of movement on all of his pitches and it's, it's, he's got nasty stuff. And even without the strikeouts, you know, he's still been pretty effective, still getting ground balls at a good rate. Um, not walking a ton of guys. So he's still an effective reliever, but I don't, I don't think he's, you know, I, for a, good month or so I had him as the number one holds option, but I, I I've moved him down since because of the, the lack of the strike. I think hitters are starting to figure him out. He's not oh, yeah. missing bats and you know, he's still, he's still the go-to eighth inning guy there. So it's going to give him, get him holds in Baltimore, but definitely not, you know, as good as we saw in, in April. I'm looking at the box score right now. How did they fit so many pitchers in a nine inning game? <laughs> One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven in a nine inning game. That's crazy. Are you looking at the <laughs> AL? Yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah. Well, Jansen and Jansen only pitched a third, and I Romano got hurt. So and both sides. I, that's that's uh, wild. I mean, NL just went straight up one pitcher per per inning, but yeah, AL eleven pitchers. That's a lot. Um, yeah, we can move on to Jordan Romano. Who did he? <laughs> he pitched. He got an out, but he's he's injured. Yeah, he. Um, Pitched, yeah, he got an out, and then facing Lurdy Scoriel, he, I thought it was a home run. They overturned it onto the field. Yeah. They, he wow. let up, yeah, and you know, ended up leaving the game with lower back tightness. He said it's precautionary, but it's you know, it's never, it's never a great thing. He said he felt it when he was warming up, and he just wanted to kind of power through it because it's the All Star game. But uh, we'll see. Doesn't sound like he's gonna be on the IL to start the second half, so. Um, probably might get a day or two off to start, but he should be ready to go next week. I would imagine. Yeah, and that's unfortunate to get injured as like the last guy added to the All Star game roster too. Yeah, just like okay, yeah, we'll we'll let you play, and then <laughs> yeah, you're super pumped about it, and then it ends up being an injury. Yeah, hopefully that does not affect him in the second half. The Blue Jays are really going to need him because they are very much so on the borderline of the playoff yeah. picture right now. Um, then we can move on to who the guy who was probably the most dominant reliever in all of baseball in the first half, who was the exact opposite in the All Star game. Felix Bautista 
took home the loss, the first loss by an American League All-Star pitcher since 2012. He got two outs, but he allowed a hit, two walks, two earned runs, a home run, and he struck somebody out. That was the Elias Diaz home run, right? Yes. So, yeah, Oof. I mean, it, that's, you know, he it's it's tough. He, he Batista's been awesome this year, but he, he's not facing guys like Elias Diaz all the time. So, I mean, yeah, there you go. That's it's it's just it's just kind of crazy how that game you know it happens a lot I feel like in the All Star game it's the kind of the the no name guys who kind of you know make it onto the roster because of either their team needs a representative or you know injury replacements and they end up having you know kind of a a big hit here or there or, or a big inning on the on the mound so good for Diaz Batista yeah. I mean his command has been it's you know the two walks killed him and. That's always been that's the one only issue you could point to with him because he misses bats at such an elite rate. So um, no concern here. I was starting to get a little concerned when they kept him out there and he was reaching like you know, I thought he was going to go over thirty pitches and I was going to be like you know we gotta, <laughs> that's we, someone has to run out there and get him out of the game. Yeah, because this isn't that important. So um, yeah, as long as he's healthy, healthy in the second half, I have no no question he's the top closer in the game. Yeah, and then to wrap things up, Kenley Jansen got the final out of the inning that Felix Bautista started, and he struck out the, the only batter he faced. Yeah, he did his job. Um, interesting, I kind of it's related to Kenley Jansen, but I hear he he said he wanted to play another like five or six years, which wow. Um, yeah, hopefully Going for Mariano's record. Yeah, you gotta you gotta imagine that's that's kind of in the back of his mind. I don't think he's got a chance, but no. Well, uh, <laughs> he he could he could go for Hoffman. Yeah, yeah, I, I yeah. To look at the numbers, but yeah, he's they're, they're pretty far apart. Um, oh, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, he's another. You know, I don't. A lot of Red Sox fans for I don't know why I, they they want the team to sell off pieces. They're only two and a half games out of a playoff spot. I know they have a lot of teams they have to you know jump over to get there, but I don't I don't think they're trading someone like Jansen this year. Yeah. Hoffman is at 601 saves to Mariano 652. Mm. Kenley's at 410 right now. So let's say he gets, I don't know, 10 more the rest of the season, finishes the year at like 420, 425. He'd need like 175, which across <laughs> five years, that's 35 a year. I mean, it's definitely doable, but it's, mm-hmm. it's, you're got to stay healthy for that yep. amount of time. You, yeah. There's a lot of factors and you got to, it's he's gonna go to like pitch for the Royals or whoever is the seller yeah. team just right. to close out games at the end of his career, even though he's posting mm-hmm. like a four or five. Put year him on eight. the A's. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, he's definitely he's already a Hall of Famer in my book, so I, I don't think he really yeah. needs to do that. But I, I think that could if if he does finish in the, the top three or four in, in all time saves, I think that would be a pretty good argument to get, get him in, but we can move over from the losers and talk about the winners, the national league relief pitchers. And we saw Alexis Diaz, who we talked about earlier, he allowed two hits and an earned run. He was the only relief pitcher on the NL side to give up an earned run. And that was, like you said, that was sort of unfortunate considering the way things have been going recently, the lack of strikeouts, uh, the inability to look as dominant as he did in the first half. Yeah, it's again two hits, earn run. At least he didn't walk anyone, I guess. But um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see if he can re- reclaim that swing and miss stuff in the second half. Um, 
just looking at this though, the NL, I mean, the NL bullpen, the NL relievers are so much, so much better than what the AL had for options. Um, outside of Batista, I think at least, but you know, rolling out Diaz, Duvall, Hader, and Kimbrel is pretty, pretty nice right now. Yeah, definitely. And then I, I think the guy who probably was the most dominant in the whole game in my book was Camilo Duvall, who came out throwing gas. He was throwing well over 100 the whole time. He allowed just one hit across the scoreless inning, and he struck out just one, but he was pumping gas. Yeah, he looked electric. And now it was fun because he does throw, even though he does have that velo, he does, you know, lean on his slider a lot. But he, yeah. he was, he was, you know, it's fun. It's fun to see him throw that fat. He was just work with that fastball a lot in the all star game. And, you know, he, he does have two dominant pitches between those, you know, the slider and fastball combo. Yeah. And that's like the example that I was thinking about when I was saying some guys come into this all star game and they want to show everybody what they got. Yeah. And it's all about like they're not going to pull a, a NFL all-star game and mm-hmm. pro bowl um, and just not try. He was out there trying his hardest throwing as hard as he could. And that was uh, really fun to watch. We also saw Josh haters toss a scoreless inning. He didn't strike anybody out, but he only allowed one base runner on a hit. And he actually got the only hold in this game. Camilo Duvall, by the way, got the win. That was the first win by a national league pitcher in the all-star game since 2012. And that was also a giant Matt Kane who, Ooh. Yeah, legendary, legendary Giants pitcher. So that was pretty cool. The parallels there Uh, definitely been a drought for the National League. But Josh Hader played a part in that and he got a hold. Yeah, um, it was interesting to have him mic'd up. I think it's tough, you know, the pitchers being mic'd up. I know Manoa was kind of, you know. Oh, yeah. That was was, like the best All-Star game moment. Yeah, but um, yeah, Hader was mic'd up, which was pretty interesting. Didn't really get a lot out of him. Um, But yeah, the mic'd up. The mic'd up, uh, you know, moments. I like when you know Mookie and Freddie Freeman were mic'd up in the first inning or mm-hmm. so. That was that was pretty good stuff too. Yeah, definitely but, um, not as good as last year. No, it wasn't. Yeah, there wasn't the you know you didn't have Hendricks, you didn't have Manoa types. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was so great. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Um. All right, and then Craig Kimbrell closed things out in the ninth inning with a very hectic heart rate. <laughs> increasing inning where he walked two batters, but he worked around them striking out two others and he locked down the save for the national league. It was, it was cool to see Kimbrell actually looking dominant again. And I really thought we were about to see one of the best moments of all time outside of just the all-star game. Like, it was a great all-star moment. It would have been a great all-star game moment, but one of the best moments of all time, if Julio Rodriguez, mm. who was up there in the bottom of the ninth in his home stadium with two outs, as the go-ahead runner and a 3-2 count, he took a walk from Craig Kimbrell. So that was – I was on the edge of my seat there. That was probably the the moment that I remember most from the All-Star game. And unfortunately, nothing really came out of it because Craig Kimbrell was at his, doing his dominant thing. Yeah, he – you know, he did have a pitch in the out of bat that I wonder if he would – I mean, he walked, which the is fastball okay. fastball right yeah, down the middle. Uh, yeah, yeah, he had a pitch he kind of, you know, shouldn't have taken, but uh-huh. – sure he wants that one back but yeah Kimbrell walking I think he got the 3-2 on both of the walks too and it was yeah just like one of those as a Red Sox fan like that was like Craig Kimbrell playoffs 2018 all over again for me um and yeah he threw 30 pitches in this one which was like again it's like I don't know if they who they had available behind him or if the craziest part is that his manager was the one yeah calling the shots that's true that's true so yeah why (laughs) 
I guess he felt comfortable <laughs> with him just throwing 30 pitches. I'm sure he'll, uh-huh. you know, he'll be fine. But yeah, it's uh, definitely made things interesting in the that bottom half of the inning. Yep. So so that was the All-Star game. The All-Star break was a lot of fun and th- there's definitely lots to talk about. Go check out the other podcasts on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. I'm sure everybody else also had their own takes about the All-Star game and I'm sure nobody really talked about as much about the relievers as we did. Mm. But we're going to take another break and when we come back, we're going to review the first half of the season for relievers and then preview the second half here on In the Pen. And we're back. Jake Crumpler here with Rick Graham on In the Pen. It's time to review the first half of the season and preview the second half as we are just a day away from returning to baseball after the All-Star break. We'll start it off with the first half review. We're going to talk about our surprises, basically the guys who positively surprised us and then a couple guys that disappointed us. So I guess we'll go and start with the good news. We'll start with the guys that surprised us positively. And Rick, I'm going to let you go first. Who was a good surprise for you in the first half of the 2023 season? Yeah, I, I think two two names came to mind. And one of them we talked about earlier with AJ Puck. I don't, we don't have to really dive any further into how good he's been in the first half. He, he did have a little bit of an injury, you know, situation that, kept them out for a while and then you know a little rough patch before the break but he i think he's been you know pretty like pretty much all you could ask for for as the marlins closer but um one that's one surprising name for me is definitely will smith because i didn't mm-hmm. no i didn't really expect much out of him i i think we we talked about it i remember when he signed we we're like oh mm-hmm. bruce bochi you yeah. know he could lean on him you know for for saves and he turned to him pretty quickly over leclerc and I mean, he's been really, he's even, he, he's gotten a little lucky, uh, 231 BAB, or yeah, 231 BABIP's pretty low, but, um, you know, 3.06 ERA, and <laughs> this is, he, he, his his whip on the year is, it's .87, which is the wow. best, best number of his career as it stands right now, uh, and even, you know, he's not striking out a ton of guys, but 28.5% strikeout rate's fine, especially when it comes with a 6.5% walk rate. Um, and really the only concern I would ever, I would have with him in the second half is the fact that they just brought in Chapman and, you know, I'm, I wonder if there's a little bit of a difference of opinion between the manager and the, the front offices to who, sure. who they want to uh, close out games, you know, going forward. Yeah, he he was definitely surprising. I think even when he signed, I was pretty skeptical about him being any fantasy relevant at all. But when you mentioned Bruce Bochy, I was like, oh, wow, that actually makes a lot of sense. And that that has basically been everything for him. I wouldn't say he's been like, I I don't want to say he hasn't deserved the role, but Mm. it's not like it was like, oh, wow, look at this guy in his age 33 season having a, a great year and we're going to put him in the closer role. It was just like Bruce Bochy was like, Oh, Hey, I remember you. I'll I'll let you be the closer. So I owe you one. Uh, But there is sort of that perception of this guy's been in the league for a long time, 11 years. He debuted in 2012 as a 22 year old. So it sort of feels like, and he's dealt with lots of injuries. So it sort of felt like he, I don't want to say lots of injuries. He's had his fair share. It felt like he's gone through that story of, okay. Yeah. He had his time where he was like one of the, top relievers in baseball in 2019 and 2021. And then it seemed like he was on like the downswing of his career mm-hmm. in, uh, in last year at the very least, he wasn't in- incredible, but he wasn't terrible and he wasn't saving a bunch of games. So I didn't really expect much from 
from him, but he sort of picked up where he's left off the past few years and has been having a great year. So that's been a, a great story. Yeah, he's I mean, he's basically been the same. He's been very similar in the past four years. And it's just this year he's been a little bit more lucky than he was the last year. So I and there's the walks have also come down and that's helped a lot. So he's he's a good reliever. He's the, uh, you know, clear cut elite closer that you really can trust in the ninth thing in September and October. I don't know. That's to be seen. But uh, for now, I, I don't see any reason for them to to move him off of that that role. Cool. And then uh, my positive surprises are one guy we already talked about in Craig Kimbrell. I mean, it, it really seemed like he was washed. I mean, he's he's getting towards the end of his career. I don't think anybody had too high expectations of, of him. There was so much uncertainty about his role and with the Phillies getting so much talent into that bullpen stuffed in there, it didn't really seem like Kimbrell was going to have a job. And not only did he get the job, but he's recovered his old form and he's been incredible since taking over that closer role the first time. Jose Alvarado got injured. And the other guy I have is Jordan Hicks of the Cardinals. And while he hasn't been a crazy impactful fantasy guy, this is a somebody that I didn't have any expectation for coming into the season in terms of factoring into that save discussion yeah. there in St. Louis because Gallegos and Ryan Helsley were there, but also because he's never really been a huge strikeout guy. And that's, he's become a big strikeout guy this year, 33% strikeout rate. So that that's been very surprising to see him not only take over that closer role, but also become a very good relief pitcher in the process. Yeah, it's, and he got off to a horrible start too. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I, you know, I was kind of intrigued with him as a holds option earlier in the year. And then yeah, the, the horrible start, I kind of just forgot, not forgot about him, but, you know, I moved him. I think I moved him off the list completely. And then he came back and has been, you know, yeah, where where is the swing and miss coming from? It's, you know, he's changed his slider a little bit. He's throwing that, you know, that sweeper um, that everyone's throwing these days. And it's really led to, I mean, 55.8% whiff rate on that. Um it's been fantastic with, you know, we know he throws 101. So it's, it's, you know, just finding ways to miss bats. So he, you know, we're going to have a whole discussion next week, probably about trade targets, but um, mm-hmm. here, here's a guy who's last year of his, his, his contract, which uh, we were talking before the show surprised me because he's only 26 years old, but you know, he's dealt with so many injuries. He debuted so young. So yeah, he's, he's his contract up and he's, Gonna probably get the Cardinals a pretty good, pretty good piece back in return at the deadline. Yeah. So our positive surprises from the first half were Will Smith and AJ Puck, as well as Craig Kimbrell and Jordan Hicks. But then we also had high expectations for other guys that definitely didn't reach them. Who are some disappointing relievers or closers for you in the first half of the 2023 campaign? Well, the other one of the other names in that Cardinals yep. bullpen and Ryan Helsley, because, you know, he was I think his average pick around, you know, Mar- end of March, middle of March was like in the 80s or something. He was getting he was getting picked in the top 100. And, you know, you're you're going to want to get saves if you're going to take closers that early, either saves and or, you know, elite ratios or strikeout numbers. And he was good he was okay but he didn't provide anything you know that i would consider elite only seven saves um 33 strikeouts over 25 innings 1.16 whip he's and now and now you know we talked about hicks possibly being traded and so helsley could slide back into the closer role 
if you know after Hicks is traded and when Helsley returns. But there's no there's no need for the Cardinals to rush Helsley back at this point. He's dealt with a long you know history of you know arm um, problems. So there's I don't know if they're going to completely shut him down, but they're definitely going to take things slow with him the rest of the way because they're not playing for anything right now. Yeah, I, I think he sort of fits the whole vibe that the Cardinals have had this year in terms of being disappointing, where it's like you got all the talent in the world and it's just that didn't really come together. I think we yeah. both, I think our whole podcast was a little bit skeptical with Helsley coming into this year, especially where he was going in fantasy drafts. But with the way he pitched last year, he had the possibility of being like a top three closer in baseball yeah. this year if he kept things up and that has not been the case it's so much so that he's probably been dropped in the majority of leagues at this point not only because of that injury but also because of underperformance did you have anybody else that disappointed you in the first half yeah and it's not a huge disappointment because again this is you're someone who you're taking in the you know 150 range 125 150 range but that's you know clay holmes uh, ERA is great, two point two three. That's fine. Um, and he's striking out guys at a pretty good rate, but only ten saves on the year, mm-hmm. and it's not looking like he's going to. I mean, I, if I would guess, he's probably not going to finish with twenty saves. Um, that that's uh, you know, that could definitely change depending on what the Yankees do at the deadline, what they you know how they move forward with their how they use the relievers. But it doesn't seem like Aaron Boone wants to use him has their only closer he's going to use Holmes you know in multiple different situations you know there's going to be a bunch of guys who close out games for them so it's 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 again it's similar to Helsley where it's like they haven't pitched bad but when you're you know targeting a closer that early you want to get this you're you're trying to get the saves from them so this has been a disappointment for for me yeah, definitely not the worst case scenario for like yeah. what you would have expected from a disappointing Clay Holmes first half, but it is a, a closer committee there. He hasn't really stolen that job for himself, but that bullpen's been really successful the way it's deployed. So you can't really argue with what Aaron Boone sure. has done, but yeah, it is sort of unfortunate that the saves aren't double what they are at this, at this point, which could have hurt some fantasy teams. My disappointments which are interesting because I feel like I made so many predictions in the preseason and you're the one who's writing all the lists. Yeah, that's true. This is <laughs> like, there are so many guys where it's, so you could be like, Oh yeah, that was Jake's guy in the preseason. That was Jake's guy in the preseason. Um, I think the biggest, <laughs> the biggest example of that is Pete Fairbanks. I hyped him up so much. And while he has not been bad this year, he's been the closer when he pitched, he's got one fewer save than Clay Holmes and a one and a half year a, the strikeouts haven't been there, and it's Pete Fairbanks. He's been injured a lot. Like I said, strikeouts not been there. Not been the guy that I envisioned being a top five closer in baseball this year. And while we still have a second half to do that, we're talking about just the first half. And Pete Fairbanks definitely disappointed me. It's you know at first glance, Fairbanks was one of the first names that I thought of too, and yeah. I was going to let you go with it. But it, <laughs> he's actually, I mean. Nine saves, one point five six ERA, yeah. 0.98 whip. I mean, that's like uh, that's it's almost better than Clay Holmes. It's, yeah, and the strikeouts. Yeah, he's one save behind Holmes, and then strikeouts. Which, yeah, I, I don't know if he stays healthy. I mean, we talked about it. We're, we're not gonna, you know, hype him up again like we did. But I mean, second half could be huge for him. Uh-huh. Um, it could go. It could go one of two ways. It could be really big for him, or he gets hurt again, or. Mm-hmm. Or perhaps the Rays make a move or do something weird like they like to do. So I don't know. It's like <laughs> so, yeah. He has been a disappointment, but it hasn't been. Yeah, it hasn't been all that bad. It's just been no. the health, health. Yeah, 
Mm-hmm, for sure. And then the other guy that disappointed me a lot was Reynaldo Lopez. And I mean, even at the start of the season, there was like so much hope. Once we saw him debut on opening day versus the Astros, he was pumping 100 miles per hour. He looked like a completely different Reynaldo Lopez. And then with that closer job up for grabs, he couldn't hold on to it. He struggled throughout the season, just blow up. It would be like he would have stretches of he looked like he's figuring things out and then he would blow up. And so while the stuff has gotten better and the the more strikeouts there, it's, I don't know, it's like... While some things got better, other things got Mm. worse, and it really hasn't evened out in a way that's been appealing. So he's only got four saves this year. Not what I would have expected. And with Liam Hendricks coming back from cancer earlier than I expected, but then going on the IL, Raylo could have been getting saves this whole year. And unfortunately, that has not been the case. Yeah, absolute roller coaster from the like Mm -hmm. week before the season through like a couple weeks after when it was. I thought that he was going to be one, like potentially the breakout reliever option this year, and I, I don't know. There's still there's still pieces to him that I I think he could be really good as a reliever. I'm gonna be I'm really interested to see where he ends up at the deadline because he should be moved and he's in the final year of his of his contract too. Um, if he goes to a team that can really develop, you know, pitching, I I, I think he could you show some signs in the second half of the year, probably not as a closer, but you know, in a, in a holds capacity. Definitely. Yeah. Well, that wraps up our first half disappointments to recap. We had Ryan Helsley and Clay Holmes, as well as Pete Fairbanks and Reynaldo Lopez. Of course there were others, Emmanuel class a lots of saves, but he's not been the same guy that he was in the past. And I think Alex Lang can be a guy that you can say as a positive where, I mean, this sort of mixed the first mm-hmm. half of the first half. It's <laughs> definitely very surprising. And uh, yeah, but now we can look forward to the second half as when this podcast is out, we'll be just about to begin the second half. So we'll help you by choosing some sleepers that we expect to have breakout second halves or sort of come out of nowhere. And then we'll choose a guy each that we expect to possibly lose their closer job in the second half. Rick, who's a sleeper for you in the second half of the 2023 season? Yeah. I mean, I might as well do both, both of these sure. at the same yeah. time. So I, I think, you know, we'll start with the bad in this one. I'll, I'll say Carlos, we <laughs> the talked main about him character of this podcast. <laughs> yeah. We'll talk about him. Uh, Carlos Estevez going to lose his job in the second half, either by trade or just by not pitching. Well, um, and I think Jose Soriano could be the benefactor there. I you know he's young, but again, if the if the Angels do sell, I mean they could sell off Davinsky. They could sell some pieces there, leaving Soriano as the the only, you know, real high leverage reliever that they trust. And you could be getting I know again, like we talk with these young relievers, the walk rate's atrocious. It's at sixteen point four percent. Um, but he does have a thirty seven point seven percent K right K rate. He misses, you know, bats with the best of them. He he has electric stuff. I I think he could be a nice closer for because even if the Angels do sell, I'm they're probably not going to be the worst. I mean, they're definitely not the worst team in the AL West if they sell off pieces. So there um there'll, there'll still be some save opportunities for Soriano there. 
Yeah, and he's actually got a lot of holds in the the short time that he's yeah. been in the majors. Just 14 innings, and he's got seven holds already. This guy's just 24, and he does seem to be one of the top options in the Angels' bullpen. Just 5% rostered on Yahoo. Not sure there's a ton of hold leagues on Yahoo, but I think Soriano could definitely be somebody that really starts catching people's eye as he continues to have the success. And yeah, I think Estevez, we've talked extensively about it <laughs> all podcast. And if Soriano continues to rise up and Estevez goes the other way, or like you said, they sell, then he would be a guy that could lose his closer role. I've got a couple guys in terms of sleepers. I couldn't decide. So I chose three because why not? Carlos Hernandez is sort of in that same boat as Jose Soriano, though mm. with a larger chance of taking over that closer role because Scott Barlow seems like he's going to be the next guy out of that Kansas City bullpen since Aroldis Chapman got traded and Hernandez would clearly be the next man up 3.83 ERA 28% strikeout rate but he throws really hard 99 miles per hour on his fastball he's got just five holds this year so he's probably been going really under the radar I mean probably not too many holds to go around in general was the way he's been opening games too for them here. Yeah. 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 Just 1% rostered on Yahoo. So he's definitely going to be a sleeper, but that's the guy that I could like the easiest guy to envision taking over a close role in the second half for me is Carlos Hernandez. For sure. I mean, I think of these three that you listed, I think you listed them in the order that I would rank them for. If we're looking at second half sleeper candidates for, for saves, uh, because Barlow should be, he should be dealt. I don't, and, and and Hernandez did get a hold this past week, so on Sunday, so it's he is he is in line to be the next man up. It's just a matter of when, I guess, at this point. Yep. And then the other guy I got same division is Gregory Santos. I've talked about him sort of a little bit recently, but he's zero percent rostered on Yahoo, so he's even more under the radar. But he's been great this year. Not the same type of strikeouts that you would expect from other guys, but he's like Bruce Dark Ratterall. He just throws really hard, gets a lot of ground balls. He's young. He's 23 years old. He's got a 2.76 ERA this year, and that comes with a 23% strikeout rate, but he's there, and I wouldn't say the White Sox bullpen is super deep. You've got some guys that have been pretty good. Keenan Middleton and Kendall Graveman been, has been all right, but I think Gregory Santos could be a guy that starts factoring more into the high leverage situations. He's got just one save and four holds this year, and we've spoken a little bit about Liam Hendricks possibly getting traded. And while I don't see Gregory Santos ever taking over that closer role this year, I think that gives him even more of an opportunity to be a high leverage guy. I mean, the White Sox are going to sell. They have to. Yeah, they're, they're, and they've already talked about how they're going to sell, you know, the expiring contracts, which yeah, is so for Reynaldo and Kendall it's their whole bullpen. I mean, yes, great. It's Reynaldo Middleton um, outside. It's a pretty much. I think Graven has one more year and bummer has mm-hmm. a couple more years, but yes. I mean, Santos could easily take over Graveman's. I mean, great. Graven has a pitch that great uh, blown save again on Sunday. So mm-hmm. yeah, Santos is a great call. I, I, I think it would be fun to see him if, if the yeah White Sox are selling off their pitching staff to, to see at least he's he's got a little bit of an electric arm for uh you know to have just to see that because i mean the, the, they could be really bad if they trade all these you know yes. one-year guys yeah mm-hmm. yeah if the giants didn't have camilo duvall i would be pretty disappointed about the losing right. gregory santos yeah i mean it would have been that, nice yeah to have both of them yes but, yeah. exactly <laughs> yeah and then so for a super deep sleeper we've got shintaro fujinami of the a's i think they're basically guaranteed to trade trevor may though there not, might not be many suitors shintaro fujinami continues to progress as a pitcher in the major leagues he's had an up and down 
season and he's also had an up and down career in the NPB. Uh, but since coming over, I mean, horrible first half of the first half. And then he wrapped things up actually pitching really well in his last 11 innings. He had 13 strikeouts to just one walk and a 2.45 ERA. And this is a guy that struggled mightily with the walks. And I don't think this guy's on anybody's radar. He's got a nine ERA, but he did have like a 12 ERA at some point this year. And he was walking just a bonkers amount of people. So if he can figure the walks out, he's got the stuff to take over the closer role in Oakland. Once Trevor may is gone. Yeah. I mean, I've, seen him pitch a couple times and yeah he does have wild stuff it's just been a command and i know we talked about mm-hmm. it a little bit on you know the coming over from um japan it's you know a different baseball so getting that feel for like you know your splitter and all that it, it does take a while to adjust so he, he he's adjusting now and uh should be should be yeah I, I think may definitely gets traded so yeah he could be an interesting uh closer second half or second half Yes, definitely. And then for the guy that I think is going to possibly lose his job, I'm going with AJ Puck, despite him rising up Rick's ranks and having ex-fips that suggest his performance thus far has been unlucky. I'm not super convinced. And with other guys in that bullpen, specifically Tanner Scott, I think that Puck might be in some trouble here. They got enough lefties in that bullpen that they might as well use them in the closer role. And AJ Puck has a five ERA since returning from the IL. I wouldn't say that's completely deserved, but Tanner Scott's been absolutely incredible, like 40 plus percent strikeout rate in the past few weeks. And he's just been incredible on the season, sub three ERA, and he just keeps getting better. I think the craziest thing there with Scott is that this was a guy similarly to Fujinami in that he struggled with walks for so long, like Entering this season, he walked 14% of the batters he faced, and now he's sub 10%, and that's gotten even better in recent weeks. This is a guy that I think is going to take over the closer role in Miami because they're not going to want to mess around with this possible playoff appearance. Yeah, you might be right. You might be right. Or they might just prefer Scott in the role he's thriving in right now. And um, But yeah, it, it it's... You know, I still like I like all three, all four of the lefties they have in that bullpen. So you really can interchange them. I just think you know, unless Puck does have you know, if he start gets off to a slow start or something, they might move him out. But I think I think he's pretty safe for now. Yeah, it'll definitely be something to watch. Tanner Scott's been so super dominant, but there's always that factor that maybe they prefer him in a high leverage role, and it just makes that bullpen even deeper. But definitely something to keep an eye on. Somebody that I'm rising up my own personal ranks that I don't write down anywhere, but they're, they're in my head. Um, (laughs) But that wraps up our first half review and second half preview. It's been a very, very exciting season. And like Rick said, it's been not really disappointing in terms of closers. It's been a very cut and dry. We knew who the closers are. They've been the closers all year and we haven't had too many disappointments, but with the trade deadline coming up and the second half coming, you never know what's going to happen. So it'll be a lot of fun to watch. Make sure to tune into in the pen every week as we continue to break down the relievers every single week, but we're going to wrap things up as always with a game of who's that closer. Rick, are you ready? Yeah, let's do it. I haven't looked at this one yet, so here we go. All right. This closer played from 2006 to 2014. He was a right-handed pitcher. He debuted with the Cubs as a starter, and that was in 2006. And then as soon as the next year, in 2007, he was an elite setup man with a 1.43 ERA and a save. 
And just a couple years later, he's the closer for the Cubs. He had back-to-back 30 save seasons in 2010 and 2011. The best year of his career came in the former year, 2010. He tossed 77 and two-thirds innings with 138 strikeouts, a 2.55 ERA, a 1.19 whip, and 38 saves as a career high for him. He was traded to the Dodgers just a couple years later at the 2013 deadline and then wrapped up his career at the age of 31 in Miami. So it was a short career for him. And in terms of black ink, he led baseball with 70 games finished in 2007 or no, that was 2010. And then his accolades are finishing 26th, the National League MVP award voting in 2007 and earning an all-star selection in 2008. He wrapped up his career with 9.8 baseball reference war, a 3.57 ERA, a 1.35 whip, and 117 saves. And if you haven't gotten it yet, there is a fantasy strategy named after this closer. Rick, who's that closer? Um, uh, the, is it Carlos Marmol? Yes, it is. I was going to I almost said Pedro Strop, but yeah, I was going to say Marmol. It's the, the strategy gave it away. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, right. yeah, that's why I kept it as the last yeah. guess. You got the last hint. Got to keep you guessing. Yeah, yeah Carlos Malmol was definitely. Uh, <laughs> was he oh, an man, headache inducing pitcher? Oh, yeah, <laughs> that stifles the entire roster. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, he was the Fernando Rodney before Fernando Rodney. Sure, or yes. during Fernando Rodney, I guess. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. So that's uh, that's Carlos Marmol, and that's this episode of In the Pen. You can follow the pod at in the pen pod on Twitter. You can follow me at Jake Crumpler on Twitter and you can follow Callan at Callan underscore L and you can follow Rick at I am Rick Graham. Rick, do you have anything to plug this week? Anything you got going on special outside of the ranks? Nothing, uh, nothing in particular. We're, we're definitely going to cover, you know, trade deadline. Yep everything next week on the pod and we'll probably have an article out uh at some point obviously before the trade deadline you know kind of talking about because relievers are always the big thing the big names you know those those are the the big movers at the deadline so there's going to be a lot of you know changes and we'll, we'll be here to cover it from a fantasy aspect for you Yes, we will. And I recently wrote an article talking about players you should target for the second half. I think that's a very helpful article for plethora of fantasy managers and i will be having a sister article coming out next week talking about guys that you should be selling so basically the opposite but i think both of those will be pretty helpful but yeah make sure to tune into in the pen every week on friday and that will wrap up this episode talk to you all next week 